Well, we are talking on risk. Risk. <clears throat> it is a board game by Milton Bradley. It's a uh, concept often talked about in business, risk. Uh, we often associate it with rolling of dice. Um, and here you see a, an image of risk the, where we all fall sometimes on the continuum. Uh, there's high risk, there's lower risk or low risk, and there's no risk. It's an issue we, in my opinion, don't truly understand biblically. And so I'll start with, with myself and my family because I don't know where you are with risk. I know where we are. Uh, and I hope to move from there into the scriptures and into eventually into um, Ecclesiastes. If you're just joining us, we're ending the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we'll do 11, 1 through 6, and then next week we'll clean up the, the book. But until then, uh, this is probably, I'm taking a risk. This is probably the longest introduction you will ever hear before I get to the text, but I think it's a worthy risk. I'm thinking through my family. I was thinking about Lawson and water slides that within the span of a week, he went from not doing any water slides to never wanting to get off the water slide, both the smaller one at the Eagle Pool and Ice Rink to the gargantuan one at the Gypsum Rec Center. What happened? What happened was there was this internal fortitude to take a chance. I, I think of Luke. I think of watching him this summer. So fun for me to be a parent on the sidelines. I'm that parent on the sidelines. Not to coach, but to watch my sons play baseball and to see Luke in a game in the span of an inning go from a fielder who didn't want to pitch to taking his place on the mound. What happened? There was a willingness to act and see what happened. And then Lauren, entering writing contest over the course of years. Uh, there are these little stories and illustrations we taped to the refrigerator but now after that we're entering contests what happens it was the courage to let her work be scrutinized leaving the results up to God over the course of minutes over the course of weeks over the course of years God works with all of us in different ways to take risks yesterday all of them had never run an obstacle course race jumped right into the dirty dozen and went after it Luke I couldn't keep up with him he was running so fast Lawson had this focus I'm going to do obstacles every time I need him to focus. I need you to sweep the kitchen. So jump over the couch, climb through the chairs, grab the broom. And yeah, okay. What about my wife? I mean, I'd I would really love to believe that the second greatest decision she ever made was just the decision to marry me, right? First, to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it was a risk. Some of you know this, that every time you enter into a relationship, you take a risk. There's at least one person who can attest to me taking a risk in here. We went to the Colorado River. Said, hey, have you ever floated the river? And I was like, well, I've been in a raft, but have you ever done it by yourself? No, I'm not a risk taker. So I thought we were going to go get in at, I don't know, um, Grizzly Creek, and, and just take our time, to which I'm taken up to where that water shoots out of that big pipe into the river, and I'm just following this guy, Jason Rittmiller, not to be named, um, <laughs> through rocks, and he's like, just jump in, and then it'll push you out, and then we'll go, and I'm like, <laughs> just, 
just jump in? That's, is that, that's all you do? And he goes, well, you want, and then I've heard this before, but now I'm living it out. Just, you'll want to be like you're sitting in a lawn chair with your feet up because there's rocks underneath the water. <laughs> okay, that's why we get in a raft above the water. But I did, and this was one of the times in my life, there are, there, are, there are many times I look back, but this is one of those that forever etched in my mind, one of those Nehemiah prayers, like I'm on the edge of this thing seeing this water come out. Lord, I entrust everything to you. Take care of my family should I get hit by a boulder. after. But what happened? It was, it was, it was the idea, the desire to try something new, trusting through prayer that God would be with me all the way. And these are just from my family, little parables to help us understand risk. And we as a family have a long way to go when it talks about God and risk, but we've seen God's good hand work in our lives. And everybody in here is on a continuum somewhere between high risk, no risk, and low risk. But I want to say this, that life is risky. And we should take risks for the glory of God and the good of others. That is, we should be guided by God's glory And we should be motivated by benefiting others. People who don't live with risk don't understand it. Or as Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. They want to take a risk. They don't understand necessarily risk. They've seen maybe something gone bad and they're hesitant. Well, today, when it comes to our time, talent, and treasure, I want to present to us and hopefully with tender hearts towards God and others, to learn to take risk. Risk is right. Risk is right. That's why we gave you uh, through the weekly email, and it's out there on the table for you if you want it. Risk is right. And so today we're going to look at risk in three ways. We're going to look at risk surveyed uh, throughout the text of Scripture, risk exhorted. We'll see it specifically from Solomon to us in 11, 1 through 6 of Ecclesiastes, and the risk applied. Risk surveyed, exhorted, and applied. And so we begin with just a general question, what is risk? I have two definitions for you. One is from dictionary.com, the potential of losing something of value. Another comes from that book, Risk is Right. It is an action that exposes someone to the possibility of loss or injury. If you take a risk, you can lose money, says John Piper. You can lose face, you can lose your health, or even lose your life. And what's worse, if you take a risk, you may endanger other people and not just yourself. Their lives may be at stake also. Will a wise and loving person then ever take a risk? Is it wise to expose yourself to loss? Is it loving to endanger others? Is losing life the same thing as wasting it? It depends. Of course, you can throw your life away in a hundred sinful ways and die as a result. In that case, losing life and wasting it would be the same. But losing life is not always the same as wasting it. What if the circumstances are such that not taking a risk will result in loss or injury? It may not be wise to play it safe. And what if a successful successful risk would bring great benefit to many people and its failure would bring only harm to yourself? It may not be loving to choose comfort or security when something great may be achieved for the cause of Christ and the good of others. I think of those who are considering missions work. Uh, We had the Copleys in a couple months ago. We have a family thinking this through, and it's the idea of going somewhere, not knowing everything, and taking a risk for the cause of Christ 
and the good of others. Risk is right. But what, what, what is the re, what's the implication? Why is there risk? It's because we don't know. And four times in this passage coming up, a long time from now, you will see, you don't know. We don't know. We don't know if we'll have a heart attack today. We don't know when we get in our cars or on our bikes and leave this church service if somebody will hit us on the street. We don't know. You don't know if your favorite place to eat would somehow, by some odd chance, get some contaminated food and you eat it and die. You don't know if you're going to have a stroke. We don't know the next time we go to Costco and we're enjoying samples of a gunman walks in. We don't know when death is coming. We don't know. Matthew 6, 34 says this, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew tells us through in Jesus' words, tomorrow's troubles are promised. And let me tell you that today that might be fulfilled. We don't know. What's the logical conclusion between high risk, no risk, and low risk? Risk is woven into the fabric of our lives. And where are you on this scale? There are two ends to that, right? There's high risk, there's no risk, and then most of us live in, in low risk. That's where we, that's, our lives are around low risk. There's this myth of safety. There's this mirage of, mirage of security. We live in gated communities. And we, we, we enjoy comfortable, convenient things because it's risky to get outside our comfort zone. But we only grow when we get outside our comfort zone. What does the Bible say about risk? Does the Bible address this head on? It absolutely does. Number one, we begin, as we begin all issues and topics, with God. God does not risk. We are not open theists. We are, we are not sitting here going, yes, there is a God who created the universe. There's a God who's all-powerful. Yet, you know, he really doesn't know what's happening in the future, and he's kind of learning as he goes. God doesn't risk. The Bible says this in Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases. God works for his pleasure. He doesn't, he's never caught off guard. Isaiah 42, 8 and 9 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to another, nor my praise to be carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. He declares new things. Before they speak forth, I tell you them, God not only does what he pleases, he predestines his pleasure. Not only that, God knows all the possibilities of every potential world that ever was. Look at this in 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. This is Saul who had acted foolishly. He did not do what he was commanded to do. So the prophet was brought to rebuke him. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord of God, now watch this key phrase, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Would have established. That is good. We often overread the text. Uh, Not overread. We don't read it slow enough, but we miss things. He would have established. That means God knows the possibilities of all things. Another sermon for another day, but you've heard it here before. In the world we're living in, with all the trouble that we have, is the best of all possible worlds. I'm more than willing to talk to you about that after this sermon, but that's This is already a long introduction. 
Trust me, God knows the possibilities of all. He knew every choice I had. I started with gray pants this morning, and and he knew. Had he gone down that road, he would have chosen this shirt. But but I chose the Jim Kinzer shirt today. It's a good looking one. It just reminds me. I put it on, I just feel like Jim. Just better looking, you know, smarter. But he knew, he knew. God knew he works for his pleasure, he predestines his pleasure, and he knows all the possibilities. So you can trust this sovereign God that he's worked this whole thing out to the best of all possible worlds. And finally, Jesus Christ never risks. I don't know how many times I've heard pastors saying, the greatest risk takes, Jesus never risks. Ever. Ever. I'll I'll talk about that when we get to communion. Think about the issue of communion. I'll just save that noodle on it. But look at... John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Nobody. He didn't go, man, I'm going into Jerusalem. I, I think I might be killed. No. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Wow. I mean, when you hear somebody talk like that, you should just stop and go, I don't know who you are, and whatever, I'm following you. Because if you have the authority to lay down your life and take it up again, you're you're the Messiah. You're You're the king of the world. You're the, you're the ruler of the universe. I'm following you. This charge I've received from my father, even Jesus, the one who had all authority received it from his father. He was perfectly obedient, but he never took a risk. We're not open theists. And so although God never risks, man does risk. And I would say all of our life, paradoxically, is a risk. Joab, in 2 Samuel 10, 12, he's surrounded by the Amalekites on one side, the Syrians on the other. He's there. He just assesses the situation and with courage says this, be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people, for the cities of our God. Key phrase. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. He, he was courageous. He had no special revelation from God. He, he uh, observed the situation and he was courageous for God and God's people. Perhaps the most famous of all risk takers is the book of Esther. Starting in verse 13, then Mordecai told them, starting in 12, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. This is Mordecai to his niece, I think. Do not think to yourself that the king's palace, in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. Mordecai had great faith in a God who's never mentioned in the Bible. From another place, but for but you and your father's house, including me, will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom. And here's the, of the 11 famous words in Esther, here are the first six for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, I, presuming that they're praying to God for what's about to happen. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. 
though it is against the law, she understood. Not only is she courageous, she understood her culture, and she understood the counsel from her uncle. And if I perish, I perish. No special revelation from God. She used the wisdom and counsel of others. She was bold for a greater purpose. Bold for a greater purpose. And how about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? By the way, that's how you're going to call them in, in heaven. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I would memorize Hananiah, Mishael, and Ahazariah. You're going to go up there and go, hey, Shadrach. He's like, no, I'm Hananiah. <laughs> they named me that back in Babylon. But this is perhaps, if, if Esther and those 11 words are the most famous on risk, this is perhaps my favorite of all the passages on trusting in a sovereign God. Like this is the one for us today in the society we live in and where it's going. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Will you, he had asked, will you bow the knee and worship me? I have no reason to give you an answer, O king, if this be so, that you're going to kill us if we don't bow to you. This is quite possibly, you know, you have your favorite verses. These are someone like that. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. God had the ability to deliver them from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. Not only did he have the ability, they trusted it was certain. He had the certainty out of your hand, O king. And here is the greatest contrast. But if not, he has the ability. And by the way, in the future, he will certainly deliver us. But if he chooses in this day and age, in this specific time, in this fiery furnace, not to deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. No special revelation from God. They used the wisdom from the Bible and they stood strong in the face of death. We have courage, we have counsel, and we have men who were committed to the very end. And perhaps the greatest risk taker of all in the New Testament was Paul in Acts 21. While he was staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound it around his own feet, Paul's feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard of this, we and the people were urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go! You now know. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? And I just, I, I really, when I get to heaven, I say, Paul, how did you articulate this? I mean, were you kind of sarcastic when you said it? I mean, what, how did you say this? What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For am I ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. He did have special revelation. In general terms, he knew from the very beginning, Barnabas told him, uh, Jesus told me to come and get you, and by the way, you're going to suffer many things. But he went forward not knowing when it would come. He entered every city not knowing when he would be stoned, when he would be lashed, when he would be in prison. And so do we. We have a special revelation from God. It's called his word. 
And we know that Jesus said in 16.33 of the NIV, in this world you will have trouble. Paul wrote also in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And like those in Hebrews 11, of which the world is not worthy, I just want, it's not up there. We, we, I have two verses up there, but I do want to read you this. I, I just think it is amazing, and you need to hear it as much as I need to hear it because it speaks to us. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And here's the key phrase right before verse 39 of Hebrews 11. Of whom the world is not worthy. My friends, and I can say this with biblical accuracy, the world is not worthy of you. The world is not worthy. You are are sons and daughters of the king of a new kingdom that is coming. And it's in the midst of that that Hebrews says this, and all of these, all of these, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses who left the, the wonderful life he had in Egypt to be scorned with his people outside the camp. And those who were sawn in two, those who were destitute, of whom the world is not worthy, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They went forward in faith, not knowing what was going to happen. Since God, now watch this, provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We're all in this together, is what the author of Hebrews is saying. So in, in, in general terms, risk is right. It is right to risk for the cause of God, His glory and others' good. It is wrong to play it safe, and it's also wrong to risk for self-exaltation. Listen to Piper again. I have been assuming that the power and the motive behind taking risks for the cause of God is not heroism. You don't want to be the hero, or the lust for adventure, or the courage of self-reliance, or the need to earn God's will. That's the biggest one. I don't want to be a hero. You be a hero. Lust for adventure. I'm not getting on the water again. I'll stay six inches high. Self-reliance. Well, I did it on my own with a need. If, if I don't risk, maybe God won't approve of me. If you're living in that world right there, you need to slow down and see it is not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. And it's from that that you live this. But rather faith, trusting in what God has done, and an all-providing, all-ruling, all-satisfying Son of God, Jesus Christ, And so risk is right. The strength to risk losing face for the sake of Christ is the faith that God's love will lift up your face in the end and vindicate your cause. The strength to risk losing money for the cause of the gospel is the faith that we have a treasure in heavens that cannot fail. And the strength to risk losing life in a world is faith in the promise that he who loses his life in this world will save it for an age to come. Risk is right. I hear people talking about, let's be that Acts 2 church. And let me tell you, if we're going to be the Acts 2 church, we must take risks. Not live where it's comfortable and convenient. So hopefully you've been somewhat persuaded in my long, risky introduction that risk is right. So let's now look at Ecclesiastes 11. One through six. How do we risk? What does Solomon say about risk? Here's what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters. 
for you will find it after many days. You just look at that verse. And then you go to two, give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And you look at verse one and you say, certainly I can figure this out. And then you go look in the NIV and you say, this is a better translation than the ESV or the NASB. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. They say it best because if you look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew here, these are business terms. This is business language. And that is a a proper interpretation. Solomon says, ship your grain across the seas and after many days, you'll receive a return. And two, give a portion to seven or eight for you know not, there's the first time, what disaster may happen on earth. Here's my first challenge to us. Number one, take a risk. Be bold but wise. Be bold, verse one, because you may be rewarded. Be bold. David took a risk. He he went out to fight a guy that was nine foot tall. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine this. He grabbed five stones. Why did he grab five stones? Don't go with all that corny stuff that Goliath had, you know, other brothers and each stone was for the... No, he didn't know if he was going to miss. He took a risk. It's like me going to the golf course. I take like 30 balls because we just don't know that day. We don't know. Do we, Reed? We don't know. One sleeve, ten sleeves. We don't know. David grabbed five stones. Not be some hyper-spiritualized thing. He took five stones. Don't read into five any more than he just didn't know. And he got up there. He didn't know he was going to hit him on the first strike. He was bold and rewarded. But be wise. Give a portion to seven or to eight. You know not what disaster may come upon the earth. Be wise. I know that good financial investors live by this principle. They don't say put all your money into gold. They don't say put all your money into this. They say spread it out. They're wise. Be bold and be wise. Take a risk. Some of us are not bold. We play it safe. We stay put. We, we like our comfort zones. And we stay there. Some of us are not wise. We, we do too much. Solomon says, take a risk. Be bold but wise. And in 3 and 4, a couple of my favorite verses again. I use these all the time. If the clouds are full of rain, I love this. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I mean, look at three again. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. (laughs) I mean, you're thinking of yourself, thanks, Solomon. That's like somebody saying, hey, where were you born? And you, you know what they're saying. They're, they're saying, what city were you born in? What country? And you say, I was born in a hospital. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. I mean, it's like me. I seriously, I, I seriously, I go, I, I showed this when I read this verse. I, I took this. <laughs> I said, sweetie, you got you to read this. Because long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, we would be driving from Denton to Tulsa on I-75, and I would make comments like, 
Ecclesiastes 11.3. I'd look out the window and I'd say, that tree was not all, always that big. And she would go, thanks, Captain Obvious. That's, you're brilliant. You, you live on the edge. Well, me and Solomon, we think alike. I mean, just, the other day I was texting a guy and I, I, was, I was in Glenwood and I said, hey, is this your car? But with a hard top. <laughs> to which he replied, and a different owner and a different color and in a different place and time. And I'm like, fair enough. But Solomon, what it, why is this here? Why would he start with verse 3? Because he wants to make a point. It's always, always great to begin with what we already know. Don't assume anything. Don't assume anything. Because he moves from 3 into 4. But he who observes the wind, you observe, you, you observe, you start with what you know, will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Verse 4. Observation without action will only get you so far. There's many an armchair quarterback in the world. Observation without action will only get you so far. You can only observe from so far. You get that a lot. Well, if you just did this, things... If you're observing that, why don't you follow it up with some action? So here's my second challenge. Take, not only do you take a risk, but take a calculated risk. That is, know the laws of life and live accordingly. Know the laws of scriptures and live accordingly. We have enough knowledge to make decisions. Please, please, please. I've seen it. I've watched it. Let's not what if ourselves out of taking good risks for God and the good of others. The what if opportunities. Hey, we're, we want to go down there, but what if? And often these what-ifs, people go and they have this courage and this commitment and they want to see something followed through. But what if? What if? It may happen that way. Here's a great quote. Ideas don't happen because they're great or by accident. The misconception that great ideas inevitably lead to success has prevailed too long. Whether you have a perfect solution for an everyday problem or a bold new concept for a creative masterpiece, you must transform the vision into reality. That is, take a calculated risk, and I share with you one example. We have a wonderful kids' church going on right now. Do you know why we have that going on? It's not because somebody had an idea and said, I have a great idea. Let's observe the wind. They came in and they, and, and they did exactly. Ben and Kim did exactly what I asked them to do. Will you bring it on a one sheet, single sheet of paper? Because I always do that because it helps me that they thought through the entire thing. Show us what you want to do, what resources you need, and, and kind of how you want to go with it. They brought it in. Boom. And we, we work through, the, you know, you start something new and you work through all the kinks and it is going right now. So much so that they're sitting back there because they've, got it started, and then they trained up other people to do it. It's called disciple. It's really amazing. It is the model for all the ministries we want to do here at Eagle Bible Church because it wasn't, hey, here's your great idea, Judd. You and Jim, go get it. Go for it, bud. They said, here's our great idea, and here's how we want to live it out. And they took a risk, and they were rewarded. They were bold and wise. They understood the laws of the life. They understood the, the culture of this church and and they made a decision. And finally, 
Ecclesiastes 11.5, three times in these next two verses, you're going to see you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. As you do not know the way that the, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of the woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I think the net Bible is a little clearer here. Just as you do not know the path of the wind. I mean, in general, we kind of do, but not where it came from or where it's going. Or how the bones form in the womb of a pregnant woman. Yes, we can observe them and we can get all our scientific language there, but it's amazing. And if you've seen it, you're like, that's really cool. Jesus said it like this, the the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Sure, it's the wind is coming out of the east, but where did it start? I mean, let's just you're gonna someone's gonna play that logical game. Sure, the the wind came out of the, well for us it comes out of the west, but where did it start? I mean, we over here. Well, it came up. Where did it start? Jesus says you do not know where the wind comes from or where it goes. So it is with those who are born of the spirit of God. God's sovereign over this entire process, and He just moves. He moves through structure. He moves through. gospel but we've got to trust that God is sovereign God is the one who is at work and he makes everything he who said let light shine out of the darkness has shown in my heart and if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ the one who created the world recreated your heart whenever he wanted to do it in the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that or whether both alike will be good. What he's saying here is, make a decision, trust God. I know that sounds like just too good to be true, but it is. Make a decision and trust God. Do something and trust God. But what if? We're not what ifing. That's for people who observe the wind. Oh, the wind does this Make a decision. Make a decision. Commit to something. So here's my challenge. Here's the third challenge. And you see it builds upon itself. Take a risk. Take a calculated risk. But before we get there, let me, let me show you Jesus too. He says this in Mark 4. Here, here's Jesus' parallel to Ecclesiastes 11.6. And he said, The kingdom of God is like a man, if, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know. It's the next verse. He does not know how. Is that coming up? There it is. He does not know how. The farmer goes out. He casts his seed. He he covers it up. He waters it. He goes to bed, and he does this, and he's not down there, and sure, we have science to get, but he's not seeing how it's actually done or knows when it will come. And the earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The farmer farms in faith. The Christian walks by faith. Here's my challenge to you. Not only do you take a risk, not only do you take a calculated risk, take a faithful, calculated risk. Faithful, that you're trusting there's a sovereign God who runs the universe. He knows the beginning from the end, and all things in between, and like we showed you earlier, all possibilities, that that to me, when you hear, I would have done this, 
that's where you stop and you go, okay, if that's the God who controls the universe, I'm following him because he knows everything anyway. So I'm just going to follow him. Take a faithful, full of faith, calculated, you're wise. You're not just bold, but you're wise. You observe the world and you act accordingly. Risk. Be ready. Be prepared to take action because God is sovereign. Knowing God is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's the one who created the world. He is all-knowing. We are not. Every now and then, God gives you a glimpse of what it's like for him to work all things for his pleasure and for you to know a little bit, and then you go, that is great. Last week, the Women's World Cup final was on. I go over to somebody's house to watch the game, minding my own business. I had not yet turned off my phone. I'm a pastor. It's Sunday. Ding, ding. Somebody may want to talk. Minding my own business. I'm not trying to figure out. And so I'm a little delayed with the game. And so I go check my phone. Nobody in the house knows. Nobody knows. We're 15 minutes behind. It's 4 nothing in the first quarter, so to speak. If you know soccer, you're like, that's amazing. Most of you are like, what's soccer? It's a great sport. It's the world's greatest sport. I'm not going to give you a treatise on soccer. But I know the score, so I go downstairs and I have this uh, sh- just look on my face. And Ben goes, you know, don't you? And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm all-knowing at this point in time. It was so awesome. Now, understand, I didn't know how they were going to score, but I knew. And it was just cool to watch. Goal one being scored, I'm like, they're just, everybody's going excited. And I'm just like, hold on. I mean, they brought me pleasure to see them full of joy. I'm like, that is the perfect illustration. Not perfect, but a good illustration of being kind of, you're in the know. And then finally, once they scored the fourth goal, I'm like, hey, I'm no no longer all-knowing. I don't know anything after this. But it was so cool. God knows everything. So because God knows everything, be prepared and take action. Opportunity is knocking. Opportunity to spread the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples is knocking at our door. Limited knowledge should not stop us. Four times you do not know. But Solomon four times gives us imperatives. Cast, give, uh, sow, don't withhold your hand. It's a balanced approach. You don't know, but do this. Limited knowledge should not just stop us. Make a decision. God guides by making us wise. If you make a bad decision, you learn from it. You move on. But we're to be prepared. We're to be prepared. And we can't do this on our own. If you you walk out of here to take bold risks on your own, that's that self-reliance, that's that flesh. But we walk out of here guided by the gospel. Jesus Christ said it like this in Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There is some risk that's wrong. There's some risk that's right. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the glory and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, as if this is the truth, 
There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, take a risk. And here's the paradox. If you take a risk for Jesus Christ, not for you. There's risk in this life, but not with him. There's risk in this. I don't know if I'm going to have a heart attack. I could right now. That would be the coolest thing. Glory to God. Boom. And I know you will be saved. But anyway, I would be with Jesus to be absent from the body. present with the Lord. Glory to God. Boom. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. But with Jesus Christ, there's not risk. Because he's, he's living. Had, had he died and stayed in the tomb, we, I, we, I wouldn't be up here. I'd be a fool. You'd be a fool for, hey, let's show up to listen to the fool talk. <laughs> but it's not a risk. Yet some of us may die. Look at Luke 21, 16 through 19. You will be delivered up by parents. We're living in a culture right now where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will split families. Next slide. You will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Families will be split over the gospel. Now, I mean, we, we we're, sometimes we read these gospel and are like, that's back when Jesus lived. That was a long... No, that's just... That's the truth that happened then, written then. It exists today, and this is what's going to happen. Parents and brothers, relatives and friends, they will. there will be a parting of ways, and that's a good thing because the gospel will be joined. And some of you, key word, notice, some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Not a hair on your head will perish. Wait a second. You just said some of you will die, but not a hair on your head will perish. There's the paradox. There's risk in this life. There's not risk in trusting in Jesus. None. No risk. There's the paradox. You might die, but you'll live forever. You might. Uh, we, there are some of you. We, some of us may die. Some of us may be here when Jesus comes back. What do you do with that? Greatest commentary on this, Luke 21, is Romans 8. What then shall we say of these things? Paul's talking in Roman of all that's coming. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God will give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. No charge. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not guilty. You're not guilty. But my past is full of sin. I know it. So is mine. But we stand not guilty because of Jesus. No charges. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one that died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. But my past actions should kind of condemn me. I should be, I should be put to death for, for all those actions. They were sinful against God and against people. No, Jesus Christ died. And he now prays for you. Is that cool? Is that cool to you? Jesus is interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall you ever be, can you be 
separated from Jesus. Can you and I lose our salvation? No, because we, it was never ours to lose in the first place. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of that. As it is written, the Psalms, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here's the answer. Shall tribulation, so when, but when bad times come, no. Shall distress, no. Shall persecution, no. When people come and pose you, will that separate you from the love of Christ? No. Shall famine, you go without food and nakedness without clothing? No. Shall danger, just life in general? No. Had I jumped into the, it was dangerous to jump into a body of moving water where there's rocks underneath. I could have died. Would that have separated me from Jesus Christ? No. As it is written, look at verse 37. No. Here's the key word. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. It does not say he saves us from all these things. Capture that. In all these things. We've got to slow down and read the Bible. Just like sometimes we've got to slow down and read text slowly. I was texted last night. I will have the bulletins and the pulpit for you by 9.30. I just assuming the pulpit was going to be here. I will have the bulletins in the pulpit by 9.30. No, it said and. And so we get here and we're like, who took the pulpit? Did you take the pulpit? So I called Heath. He's like, yeah, I took the pulpit. Oh. I texted you last night. (laughs) He did. And, not in. (laughs) He had the text. He had the bulletins and the pulpit. Here, you are delivered not from all these things. You will never be delivered from all tribulation, from all distress, from all persecution, from all famine, from all nakedness, from all danger, and from all pain, sword. Our life is to be one that is full of joy, but that doesn't mean it is painless, but it's in all these things. Look at what, this is why the world is not worthy of us. We are more than conquerors. On our own? Because we're so strong? Through him, who loved us. For I'm sure, this is the certainty, can, can, you, can you lose your salvation? I'm sure that neither death nor life, should you die in this world before your time, so to speak, but, but that's so to speak, right? If you die in this world, that's not before your time. That's in God's exact timing. Death or life, angels or rulers, is there any demon or devil out there that is more powerful than Jesus? No, nor things present, the things going on in your life now, or things to come. Things are coming. Tomorrow's troubles are coming, but they may happen today, just so you know. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Can you lose your salvation? No. Are you a part of all creation? Yes. You, if you've been saved by Jesus, cannot lose your salvation because you're a part of creation. And if God loves you and he saved you, nothing can separate you from him. Period. End of story. I don't ever want to talk about it again. You can't lose your salvation. Sorry. Nothing will separate us. Not from our love for God. Do you see that? It's for from the love of God in Christ our Lord. He loved us. He loved us. 
So here's my main point. Sometimes you give it up front. Sometimes you save it for the end. In a world full of unknowns, that's where we live. I've got to say this appropriately. Live riskily, not risky. Sometimes you have people who volunteer for you. They're always helping you with your grammar. Live riskily, not risky. Risky is an adjective. This is the adverb. Live riskily, yet wisely, trusting in God's sovereignty. Live riskily. It's a whole other way to look at it. (laughs) That's terrible grammar. So what's my application to this? Know God's general purpose. He rules the world and his purpose for all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Go out and make disciples of all nations. And then trust God's general providence. He rules the world. He's going to work it out. It's okay. You may be in a position in your life right now where things don't seem to be going as planned. God's sovereign. He has you there for a reason. You may be in a season of life where things are just going peachy. Praise the Lord. He has you there for a reason. But then, knowing God's general plan and God's general providence, get specific with your life. Plan your work, work your plan. Leave the results up to God. I want to get real practical here. Because a lot of us don't take risks. We what if ourselves to death, and we don't take good practical risks. People call me for advice, and I say, and you've, if you've called and asked, you can, you, can say, you can affirm this. Get out a sheet of paper. It's good to write it down. We learned that in second grade, you know, the big chief tablet with the dashed line. If you want one of those, go for it. And write down strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Put it down on paper. We're not, our noggins aren't that good. That's why we have smartphones. We don't remember. Like you ask me a number, I'm like, I don't know. I've got to look at my smartphone. So write it down. Gather the information. Make an informed decision. Make a decision. But I don't. I don't know. You're right. We don't know. But what if? Don't worry about that. No no more what ifs. Is that does that mean you shouldn't think through? Yes, you should think through potential dangers. That's why it's called opportunities and threats. But don't what if yourself to, to death. That's the paralysis of analysis. I've analyzed this so much, I will never make a decision. here's the greatest, the greatest advice. I I went to Dallas Seminary, got some wonderful, wonderful teaching. I go to lunch with Dr. Stephen Spencer. I'm sitting there. I said, should should I marry this girl? He goes, you'd be stupid if you didn't. There was no, let me turn to second Chronicles and Ezekiel. You'd be stupid if you didn't. He just make a decision, Bob. You've, you've gathered the information, make a decision. And it is the second greatest decision of life. Gather the information, make an informed decision, and watch God work as you take faithful, calculated risks. When it comes to your time, I beg you, if you are here today and you've been coming here for some time and you're not in community, we have community groups coming up this fall, get into a community group. Yeah, but I've been in community groups before and I've kind of gotten hurt or they haven't really take a risk. Take a risk. It may not be what you expect. Take a risk. We we don't get into community, community and then we wonder why our relationships aren't deeper. If you're gifted and if you're the you know the Lord Jesus Christ, First Corinthians twelve says you're gifted to build up the body of Christ. I would say commit. Take a risk. Take a risk. I know. Take a risk this fall and say I'm going to commit to something in this church. 
not knowing that something better might come up. I'm going to commit to doing this, and then somehow the Dallas Cowboys are going to be in Denver, and I'm committed to teaching something. Take a risk. Something better may come up. Something better may come up. Take a risk. For the glory of God and the great good of God's people. If you're gifted, and you are, every single person in the Lord Jesus Christ is gifted, why don't we use our talents to build up the church and let the church grow and explode? But we, what we do is we take our gift and talents and we go pour them into everything else and we say, I wonder why the church in, the, in, in America is not gaining any ground. Think about it. We got all our gifts spread out over there, doing other things. Why the church should be more power, should be gaining ground. Yeah, where, where, are, you, where are you serving your church? Well, I, I served in other different areas. Serve your church with your treasure, your time, your talent, and your treasure. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to have, want to have these people over this minute. Give your treasure. Take a risk. I don't talk about money much, but it's in this passage. Very business-like language. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. In the morning, sow your seed. Take a risk. Oh, but I give, I give to this great organization and that great organization. How much do you tithe? Well, I don't really tithe. Take a risk. But I don't, I, I, I've done it before in the elders of this church. Didn't, not this church, but in my other church. They had to catch that one. I've given my money before in the elders. Of my, the past church didn't do uh, Get to know your elders and give money and take, take a calculated risk. What about not just your money, but let me, let me put that aside. What about the greatest treasure you hold in your hand? The gospel. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. Here's the biggest sin, and I'll say it like that, and I confess my own, and I do my best by God's grace. The biggest sin of a Bible church is we don't share our faith. We have the greatest treasure in the world. But what if? But what if I share and they don't like me? Take a risk. What if I share and then I get it's assumed that I so on the job. Take a calculated risk. Be smart about it. I'm not just saying go out there willy-nilly, but let's share our faith. We let me just say it like this. I'm being I'm preaching right now. We do not share our faith because we are afraid. We are afraid of what people will think. Period. In the story, I don't want to hear an excuse. We don't share our faith because we are afraid that somebody might not like us. Share your faith. It's the greatest treasure in the entire world. And we don't share it because we're scared. We're afraid to take risks. We would rather be evangelists for Brian Regan. And I share this to my own shame. I remember one time, heard about Brian Regan, and I was just talking about Brian Regan. Brian Regan, let's go talk about Brian Regan. He's a great comedian. He's pretty clean. I mean, Brian Regan, right? And I was an evangelist for Brian Regan. And then I got convicted. I'm like, I speak more of Brian Regan than I do of Jesus Christ. To my shame. Share your faith. You've got the greatest treasure in the world. We don't share our faith because we're afraid to take risks. Try it. Trust me this week. You know non believers in your life. Pray, God, I'm going to do it. I've been challenged. And I'm going to go. I'm a little nervous, kind of like my legs shaking right now. And I'm going to walk up and I'm going to say, Hey, man, have you, I've known you for the longest time. I've never really sat and talked with you about Jesus. Take a risk.